0: You're now listening to the Hot Take Podcast with Stephen Blake, your source for everything fantasy football. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Blake
1: Sullivan.
2: Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast. And I'm excited, guys, it is week one, finally here. Football is back. And this is our first official episode for the brand new season. My guy Blake Sullivan is here with me as always, and we got a jam-packed episode. Let's start it off, Blake. You are going to be in Las Vegas this weekend for the Fantasy Football World Championship. Talk to me about that. I know you're going to be in a high-stakes draft.
0: Yeah, dude, this is going to be really crazy because my team, the Packers... Are playing the Bears on Thursday night. I'm flying out Thursday night. Uh, part of the game, I'm probably going to have to watch on the airplane. So it's going to be really, really weird. I've never done that before. <laughs> um, and it's just especially a weird start to the football season. But I'm just glad it's here. And yeah, I'll be out in Vegas representing the Hot Take podcast. So if anybody's out there in the Vegas area, you know, come on down to the Palms Casino and hit us up. Uh, we're going to be recording a couple shows out there probably. So. A lot of good stuff coming your way. And, yeah, I'm going to be in a high-stakes draft, and we'll see how that goes. I've never been in a draft quite like this. But, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping this would happen a couple of weeks ago so I could get some better uh, value on some players. One of those players we're going to talk about right now is Zeke. That's right. Yeah, let me ask you real quick. Uh, do you know what dra- what your draft spot
2: is in that, in that draft?
0: Yeah, I do not know yet. So, oh. I, I, you know, I might still get Zeke. And like the first, first couple of picks, if, uh, you know, if I have an early spot, but there's no way I'm getting him back in like the sixth or seventh, like some people were uh, anymore.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You're not getting him at that six or seven spots. So that's right. Ezekiel Elliott finally signed six years, $90 million. He is the highest paid running back of all time. Uh, Matt Forte said a best on Twitter today. He said he was born too early. Um, and you know, look, Matt Forte was great. Uh, I, I just I think Zeke's a little bit better, so that might have been taken as a slide. Whatever. The point is, running backs today are getting paid if they are in that elite company. Um, so, look, we've been saying it on the show for a good bit here. We thought that Ezekiel Elliott the whole time was going to end up playing week one. If you were listening to this show, hopefully you were drafting Ezekiel Elliott. I did the fantasy... Uh, the FF Statistics uh, charity draft live at the uh, FF Midwest Expo. Zeke fell to me at pick 10 because there was uncertainty. There was uncertainty there. It was a super flex league. I got him at pick 10. I turned right back around. I got Deshaun Watson. That was the furthest I saw him fall for my personal drafts, my personal mock drafts. So even so with this whole drama, he was still being picked in the first round. Blake... For your season long, I mean, is he, where is he at for you? Where do you have him ranked right now?
0: Yeah, so he was my RB1 before all this. And kind of during, during some of this drama, like up to about two weeks ago and into last week, I started getting a little bit more scared. Uh, so he fell back to like my three or four spot. So if I had the first pick in drafts, so I was taking Saquon Barkley. Right. Uh, and then if I was in like the second pick, I was going to be Camara. Or, uh, sorry, McCaffrey. And then after that, I was probably considering taking Zeke regardless of what pick I was in. Um, and it was, at that point, it was kind of like, you know, if he doesn't play, I'm fine taking the risk. But it's like I talked about, you know, months ago when we were talking about this, we were both kind of in the same boat that we thought uh, this is how it was going to shake out and Melvin Gordon would still be sitting there. You know, when we looked at the contracts and Zeke's was only getting like $3 million. Right. So it's like, well, Zeke deserves, you know, even if – even if they didn't make him the highest paid, like when they gave him that offer that was just below Gurley's, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, he probably deserves to be the highest paid, but the Cowboys know he's worth way more than what he's getting paid. So they're right. going to surely reach some kind of deal. And they've had such good value with them before that if they overpay now, it's not like it's a huge loss for them. Uh, but when you're looking at Melvin Gordon, they've got, not just one in Tony Pollard. They've got two guys with Austin Eckler and uh, Justin Jackson there. So they're already in a better situation there than the Cowboys. And you're looking at what Melvin Gordon's getting, and he's holding out over two or three extra million where, you know, you're looking at Zeke holding out over an extra 10 or 14 million. Yeah. Jerry Jones
2: couldn't help himself with with low-balling Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, come on. Like, this man is your franchise running back who you let DeMarco Murray go, who set the record, Cowboys record in a year for rushing yards. Then you let him go, you draft Ezekiel Elliott, and then you have the balls to lowball him. <laughs> like, come on, man. So the only Jerry Jones could do something like that. They worked it out. We thought they would. The Cowboys cannot afford to have Ezekiel Elliott miss games no matter what Jerry Jones says. They are always a Super Bowl or bust team. This is so imperative to their team to make this work. Ezekiel Elliott is my RB1 going into week one. Locked and loaded RB1 for the rest of the season. Now, I want to set the stage for the episode here today. We're going to have Brian Perez. He's a beat writer of the Bears. He is writing for NBC uh, in Chicago, and he has a podcast. He talks Bears on there. So we're going to have him on the show to discuss the Thursday night matchup with the Bears and Packers. Very excited to have Brian Perez on the show today. Um, We're going to get into some in or outs, first of the season, some of your start-sit questions we're going to answer. We thought of some compelling ones that you might have to choose between this week. But before we get into that, we didn't talk about this. LaShawn McCoy over the weekend, cut by the bills, immediately signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right, Andy Reid has his running back. It's LaShawn McCoy at age 31. So, you know, we have to temper the expectations. We saw LaShawn McCoy last year. He looked busted. Now, he was in that Bills offense, so I really don't know. Is he busted or is it just the Bills offense? Blake, help me out with that. What do you think of LaShawn McCoy, and is he a serious threat to Damian Williams right now?
0: Well, you know, I mean, I don't think he's still – I don't want to call him an elite talent because, you know, obviously he is 31, he's getting older. That's a fact. Uh, But at the end of the day, he is going to come in there and have some sort of role. And week one and two, maybe I'm a little bit less worried about it just because, you know, he's got to learn the playbook, he's got to learn his new teammates, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he is a veteran. And another thing to consider is LaShawn McCoy, has played for Andy Reid before, right? back in the Philly days, back when he had 17 touchdowns one season, and back when he had uh, 314 carries for another season. So, you know, he's proven that Andy Reid's not afraid to use him. So, you you know, I I think this ceiling for LaShawn McCoy is tremendous. You know, the reason we haven't been drafting LaShawn McCoy the last few years is not because of his floor – because his floor is fairly safe, you know, he's going to get 30 to 40 receptions, if not higher. And he's going to put up six or 700 rushing yards and have, you know, seven or eight touchdowns. That's, that's fine for where you're going to be able to draft him. But now you put him on the Kansas city chiefs and his ceiling goes up so much. It makes him such a lucrative pick.
2: I 100% agree. I mean, Look, we've been we've talked about Damian Williams on the show, uh, you know, a couple months ago. We had a really fun episode, and we talked about Damian Williams to open up the show because it's such it was such a compelling, um, you know, uh, conundrum, really. And we talked about Damian Williams. He's just not the talent that you want uh, to have faith in in a second round pick where he was being drafted. Some people were putting him. Uh, as a top five back. You know, I mean, you you listen to uh, Mike the Hitman, right? Talking about Damian Williams as a top five back. And it was like, whew, I don't know. Like, you cannot waste a first or second round pick. And then when you looked at it, just for its face value, Damian Williams was a risk. Now, what we did agree on was, look, if it's just Damian Williams, his reception floor is probably 50 receptions as the, the back in uh, Kansas City as the pass-catching back. So we really like that for Damian Williams' floor, but now you bring in LaShawn McCoy, McCoy, who is a proven pass-catcher. He is shiftier and more elusive than Damian Williams right now, even at age 31. So the way that the Kansas City Chiefs offense works with Patrick Mahomes, he's going to get LaShawn McCoy in space, and all McCoy has to do is head upfield, make one guy miss, and all of a sudden it's a 30-yard gain it's more likely that McCoy can make that play than Damian Williams at this point. I mean, like I'm not trying to disrespect Damian Williams, but this eats into his workload and we're seeing it in drafts. We're seeing Damian Williams take the hit. Now I have for, for context, I have LaShawn McCoy as my RB 25 this season. I think that he's right there around that RB two range. The only reason he's not a little bit higher is because Damian Williams is going to get carries. He's going to get touches. And I have him still in that RB3 range. I have him as RB32. I think both of these guys are going to be utilized. I have LaShawn McCoy higher because I still believe in the talent, even at age 31. That being said, they go into Jacksonville week one, Blake. It could be possible that LaShawn McCoy doesn't make it out alive in that game.
0: Yeah, that's
2: at age 31.
0: Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, I'm really I'm really not looking for him in any of my DFS or uh, even in my normal leagues. I'm probably not going to start him just because there's too many unknowns, number one, with, you know, Damian Williams. And, obviously, Mahomes is going to throw the ball plenty. Uh, and then you've got to consider the fact, you know, like you said, going into Jacksonville. It's just makes me a little bit nervous. But, you know, when you're looking at this, LaShawn McCoy is at the 807 right now on Fantasy Football Calculator. Damian Williams is at the 301. So for context, at the 211, you could get Chris Carson, right. uh, or at like the 304, you could get Keenan Allen. So I would much rather yep. take one of those guys and not have Damian Williams, and then come back. You know, honestly, I don't think you're going to get Lashawn McCoy in the eighth round. Uh, I think as ADP is still on the rise, some of your home leagues you're going to be able to just because you know people might not be paying attention that much or or whatever. But uh, and a lot of these expert leagues, like when I go out to Vegas, I don't think there's any way LeSean McCoy is in the eighth round. I'm probably going to have to take him in the sixth or seventh.
2: Yeah, I got him in the eighth round in our, our uh, home league that we drafted in uh, Sunday night, and I got him again in the eighth round in a, in a draft the next night. Um, so people still aren't really coming around on LeSean McCoy. Um, I think they think that he's old and busted As if you look at last year. Uh, but what he did two years in a row in that offense – before last year, was 1,000 yards. He gave you 1,000 yards, and he gave you over 50 receptions in both of those years. We're just two years removed from that. Now you put him in this Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs offense. I think the ceiling is there for LaShawn McCoy to be a potential top 15 guy. And that's not – I mean, I'm, I'm kind of underselling that because McCoy has the talent to be a top 12 guy, and he's in the best offense in the league. I'm saying there is a big ceiling for LaShawn McCoy this year. Um, who's So who would you rather take right now? So you're saying you would take the discount on LaShawn McCoy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All I right. just think the replacement for Damian Williams' draft spot is so much higher than any replacement would be in the eighth round.
2: That transitions us very nicely into our first in or out, Blake, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to put either – Damien Williams or LaShawn McCoy, whichever one you have on your team this week, or
0: Justin Jackson of the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, so I'm going to be taking LaShawn McCoy here. Uh, both of these teams, you know, the Chargers and the Chiefs have tough matchups this week. Indianapolis Colts defense is underrated defense, I think. Uh, and then also, they're not going to have Andrew Luck, so you know, I'm sure they're the Colts themselves are going to be trying to slow the game down right. um, as much as they can. You know, obviously they're still going to have to convert third downs to to be able to do that. But I think you're going to see a lot of Marlon Mack running, maybe some Naheem Hines trying to pick up some first downs. Um, but you're going to see a lot of dink and dunk stuff, just trying to keep the ball in play, uh, run out some clock. And, you know, I, I think that McCoy's ceiling is higher for me uh, out of these three guys because Austin Eckler is going to eat into a lot of Justin Jackson's receiving. Um, And I I don't think Damian Williams will eat into as much of McCoy's um, receiving. And if you're looking at both of them between running, you know, I think it's just going to be a toss up. It's going to be however However successful either back is, they're kind of just going to keep the rock would be the way I look at it.
2: Yeah, you know, we always say scared money don't make money. Uh, But I'm scared of the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, especially in Jacksonville. Like, I actually have Patrick Mahomes as my QB9 this week. I I just, when I look at this matchup, I'm a big matchup guy, obviously. I I just, I, I hate to play my players against the Jaguars. Um, That being said, talent can trump the matchup. Uh, But I'm going to lean Justin Jackson here. And I feel very confident in this Chargers offense at home against the Colts. Um, And we know that it's going to be Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Look, Jackson last year, he had a game uh, where he had seven catches and 47 yards. Um, He is targeted in the passing game, even when Austin Eckler is out there. I think that they're going to want to run the ball. I think that this is a game that they're going to be up in. Um, So I like Justin Jackson. One thing that really uh, kind of opened my eyes is, you know, the Chargers, they turned down uh, Jordan Howard. You know, the Eagles actually tried to trade Jordan Howard for Melvin Gordon, and then they would just uh, switch out draft picks. The Chargers said, no, we're good. I mean, I'm not saying that Jordan Howard is this great talent or anything, but he's a 1,000-yard rusher, and they said, no, we're good. We have Alston Eckler and Justin Jackson. We don't want to do that. So that's a a lot of confidence you can have in Justin Jackson moving forward. Um, So I would pick Justin Jackson in this matchup.
0: Well, you know, that's fine for week one, but one thing I want to point out too that the listeners should probably, you know, keep an eye on is, you know, when I originally saw that, I was like, Chargers are idiots. Why would you not take that trade? Right. Uh, and then now that I'm sitting here, kind of like hearing somebody else talk about it, it's like, oh, well, duh, they still want Melvin Gordon. So they're hoping that after four or five weeks of not playing, Melvin Gordon's going to decide, hey, I just need to come back and get paid. I think that's what their motive is right now. Because if they start bringing in a Jordan Howard who's also going to be getting paid, you know, that doesn't leave them room to do anything at all with Melvin Gordon. And they would basically just be walking away from him.
2: Exactly, that's right. That's a good point. So if they would have brought in Howard, that would have really ultimately closed the door for Melvin Gordon playing this season, most likely. Um, so yeah, it's going to be up to him because you know, the reports are saying, look, the talks are suspended. All negotiations are suspended at this point. Unless Melvin Gordon says, okay, I want to play. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. But of course, you know, anything can change overnight, as we've seen in the NFL. Um, so let's get into this next one, Blake, Josh Gordon or Alshon Jeffrey, uh, both have pretty decent matchups this week.
0: Yeah, I don't know. This one's really, really, really tough for me because I want it. Originally I was leaning towards Josh Gordon, but Julian Edelman does look like he's going to be good to play. Originally they thought he might miss a couple weeks to the start of the season. So, uh, things are kind of looking up for Julian Edelman and if he's healthy, that takes a lot of targets away. Um, and then you're also going to have James White doing the same thing out of the backfield, you know, and then Demarius Thomas coming back to the team, I I think, you know, it was just a preseason game, but what I saw was pretty impressive, and I've always been a huge uh, Demarius Thomas truther, I guess. You know, a lot of people were high on him there for the two years where he was an elite talent in the league, and then a lot of people just seemed to kind of give up on him. Right. Uh, But, you know, that being said, I just think, there's two. There's too many variables with that Patriots team. Uh, they are able to run the ball quite a bit with Michelle. They again could just kind of eat out the clock, uh, and I, and I don't know how that's going to go with the Steelers. But um, I see that game just kind of being a slow down game where the Steelers might try to do the same thing with James Conner uh, if they're not successful in the passing game. And then you know, for me. Alshon Jeffrey going up against the Redskins. Yeah, you got Josh Norman, who I'm kind of scared of. But apart from that, uh, you know, I'm not really too scared of the Redskins. And the thing is, I don't think the Redskins are going to be able to sustain too many drives on offense. So I think that the Eagles are going to get plenty of chances. So I'm going to take Alshon Jeffrey in this one.
2: I'm backing that. I'm going to go with Alshon as well. I like both players. I think if you have both players... And you can, you know, if you're in a three-receiver league or you have a couple flex spots, definitely start both. Uh, I I think that both are startable. Um, But if you have to choose between either one, I would go Alshon. Uh, Last year at the end of the season against Josh Norman, he was five for five, so caught all five of his targets for 59 yards and a touchdown. I was watching the highlights of that game. Um, Josh Norman couldn't guard him. Alshon was – eating him up. Um, he's just way too big for, for Josh Norman. Um, the touchdown he caught was in the red zone, just bodied him. Um, he burned him on one play. And, uh, you know, the luxury that he has this year is he has Deshaun Jackson on the other side. He's got Carson Wentz, which this was a Nick Foles game. He's got Carson Wentz now. And then you've got Miles Sanders. They're loaded. So, the, you know, they're actually a lot more loaded. And of course, Zach Ertz, they're at, they're a lot more loaded than they are last year. So, Look, Alshon should be able to eat on the outside if he has a uh, one-on-one coverage. I like Alshon this year and I like him this week. Um, let's go into the next one. T.Y. Hilton or Robbie Anderson? This one's tough. Um, I mean, both players are, you don't necessarily have to start in this week, but if you have to play one, which one are you going, Blake?
0: Yeah. So right now, Robbie Anderson's kind of dealing with a calf injury, but I think he's going to be fine. So, Assuming that nothing happens there, I'm just going to assume he's healthy going into week one. Assume T.Y. Hilton's healthy going into week one. Both both guys have a pretty bad matchup, honestly. Um, Man, it's really tough. I think the floor is probably there more with T.Y. Hilton. Um, and it seems kind of strange that you would say Robbie Anderson has the, the better ceiling when you're comparing anybody to T.Y. Hilton. Right. Because T.Y. Hilton can take the top off the defense. Uh he is kind of, Oh, he, he is. yeah, he's ridiculous that way. But you know, he's got Jacoby Brissett, who I I kind of believe in. I'm not necessarily drafting him or anything, but I'm not going to be doubting Jacoby Brissett. I've seen enough of him that you know I think he's a capable quarterback. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you know, I think that Robbie Anderson is really going to take a step forward this year, and I think he's going to get started Week One. You know, they're going to have Le'Veon Bell in that offense now, so that's going to change the way they go about things. And I think that's going to open up Robbie Anderson for some huge plays. Uh, if they can get the defense to bite on a uh, on a play-action fake, you know, <laughs> all it takes is one step, and Robbie Anderson's going to be gone.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, ceiling might be – I don't know whose ceiling is actually higher. Both are obviously big play guys. Both have tough, tough matchups, like you said. But I think the floor is actually higher for Robbie just because, like, T.Y. is boomer bust, especially without Andrew Luck. With Andrew Luck, he's an elite locked and loaded wide receiver one. Without, it's boomer bust. In 2017, he had four games of over 100 yards, and then the rest were just – you were disappointed with T.Y. Hilton. So, I'll go Robbie. Uh, I, you know, the Jets are at home, I do believe. We've seen the chemistry with Sam Darnold. Um Bills are a tough defense. Chargers are a tough defense. I'll go Robbie Anderson because I think that you know the established chemistry with Sam Darnold will hopefully carry over. Um, and then you're gonna get hopefully one of those big plays. TY it, it's gonna be tough. He's really gonna be reliant on that big play in order to have any sort of relevance, um, is the way I'm looking at it. So let's get into a couple of these running backs here. Matt Barita or Kenyon Drake. Seeing a lot of hype right now behind Kenyon Drake as all of a sudden, like, yeah, look, he's the number one guy. He's going to get a lot of touches. That's what I've been uh, seeing on uh, on Twitter, on the Sleeper app. Uh, Kenyon Drake is is now locked and loaded as the guy. Um, I'm not sure anymore if it's going to be a fifty fifty split, um, but now we got Matt list listed as the starter um, over Tevin Coleman. So, who are you going to play this week of the two, Blake?
0: You know. <laughs> It's kind of tough because Kenyon Drake has a really bad matchup against the Ravens' defense, obviously. uh, But he's a really good receiver. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, is going to really be trying to push the ball downfield. So a lot of times you're going to see three, four receiver sets, and those guys are going to be gone. It's going to open up a lot of room in the flats for Kenyon Drake. That's where he's really going to excel, get a lot of those big plays and provide a ton of ceiling. Uh, On the flip side with Matt Breida, I think that – There's a good and a bad part about playing the Buccaneers. And the good part is the Buccaneers' drives are going to go pretty fast. Jameis Winston's either going to move him down the field or he's going to turn the ball over. Right. Um, But that being said, I think the the Buccaneers are going to put up quite a few points. And I don't think the 49ers are going to be able to just sit back and run the ball with Matt Breida. I think they're going to be more of a Tevin Coleman passing type uh, game. And I think – the majority of the game, they're going to be looking to get the ball downfield just like Jameis.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, Drake has a bad matchup, obviously, against the Ravens, but he has the PPR upside. When I look at Matt Burita, I look at the better matchup. Uh, I think if it's a high scoring game, then you want Matt Burita. Um, so that's who I'm, I'm going to lean, Burita. Um, if it's PPR, I think Kenyon Drake has a safe floor in this game. Uh, but, look, starting running backs against the Ravens doesn't usually work out. Uh, so I'll go greta just because that matchup is a lot here. He's listed as a
0: starter. Do you buy that, Blake? I do to an extent. I mean, I think that he's, he's probably the starter, you know, but I think that they're going to mix enough other guys in there like Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert that he's not necessarily going to be the full-time guy, but he probably is the starter.
2: Yeah, we had Jeff Lambert on, and he told us, look, I'm viewing Matt Burrito as the Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman as the Tevin Coleman, if we're making the comparison to the Atlanta Falcons days. And sure enough, all of a sudden, Matt Burrito is listed as the starter, so it could be coming to fruition. Uh, I think Jeff was on to something there. So, yeah, I, I like Matt Burrito a lot, and you're getting him at discount on drafts. Uh, you should probably buy him right now if you can because he was – a late round pick for a lot of teams. If they're not savvy enough, I would just try to trade for him right now and buy low because this is a week where he'll pop off for 120 yards and a touchdown against the Buccaneers and you're not going to be able to buy him after that.
0: Yeah. I think this is your, your best shot to have him this year. If if you want to take a chance on him, Uh, I think you need to think about, Jimmy Garoppolo being in there as well, uh, it might change things from last year, from what we saw from Matt Breida. But I still think he's going to have a great year. And like you said, yeah, this is the week to buy him because otherwise you're not going to get him. I personally, am going to take Kenyon Drake in this matchup. I don't have a passion for the Ravens like you do, so I guess maybe that's part of it. But why uh, do think but, uh, I have a passion for the Ravens? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I really, I really do feel like Kenyon Drake <laughs> will probably will probably be the better guy this week. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um and that's
2: PPR upside alone?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm in a standard league, I would actually probably take Breed in standard, but half point or full point, and definitely gonna be Kenny and Drake for me.
2: I like it. Um so let's talk about two more running backs here before we bring on Brian Perez. Uh Jordan Howard or Royce Freeman. Uh this is one that you added in, Blake. Uh, I, I like the comparison here. Two downhill runners um that are going to be in a split type situation. So, which one would you start of the two?
0: Yeah, so it's bad because I put this in here and I can't even figure out the answer to it myself. <laughs> uh, both of these guys, kind of in weird situations. I think they both have good matchups. We got, um, sorry, we got Jordan Howard at the red or going against the Redskins. Which, you know, both of these guys are kind of the secondary back. The way I'm looking at it, Royce Freeman's going to be behind Philip Lindsay, in my opinion. And Jordan Howard, for now, I think is going to be behind Miles Sanders, although that could change very quickly. Um, So the way I was kind of viewing it was, you know, I think the Eagles are going to get out ahead of the Redskins. And instead of just running Miles Sanders into the ground, they're going to probably want to get Jordan Howard in there quite a bit. Yes. uh, Slow the game down. So I'm looking at him having a lot of second-half value going into this first week. Now, Royce Freeman, you, you know, I'm looking at their matchup going up against the Raiders. And, you know, we don't really know what to expect against the Raiders. It's Monday night football. I don't expect anything too crazy to go on. Uh, But I could definitely see the Broncos wanting to run the football a ton. And I think they're going to be successful doing that. Uh, But I see Royce Freeman having a lot of that touchdown upside that I'm looking for. I think if you get closer to the goal line, you're going to probably see him in the backfield some. And it's another case where the Broncos, although I think this is going to be one of the most competitive games of the week, there, there is that potential that if Derek Carr and Antonio Brown don't have that connection week one, there's definitely potential where the Broncos could run away with this one. And you'd see Royce Freeman in a similar type role as Jordan Howard. Um, so that being said, I think I'm going to go with Royce Freeman – uh, just because I don't know what's going to happen with Jordan Howard as far as, you know, is he going to be their main guy by the time halftime hits or is Miles Sanders going to be killing it and they want to leave him in? You know, we really don't know where we've already seen Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman together for a whole season.
2: I think both of these guys in 12 team leagues are fine flex plays because, of the matchup and because of the touchdown upside. If you're starting Howard or Freeman, like you mentioned, Blake, you're really hoping for a touchdown because both of these guys are like 60 yards and a touchdown. And if they only get that touchdown, it's just like 60 yards and that's it. They're not giving you anything in the passing game. Royce Freeman, I would say, actually has the upside when it comes to potentially catching some passes. But of course they have Phillip Lindsay to do that. Um, I'll take Jordan Howard. I mean, I said it last week. I think the Eagles are going to destroy the Redskins. I called for 50 points. Um, look, if they get 35 points, that's still a high-scoring game. And I think that if they're scoring like that, they're up in this game. Jordan Howard has a lot of upside for more carries uh, and then the more opportunity for the touchdown. So I'll go Jordan Howard just because I think that uh, the way the game script is going to play out, Howard's gonna favor, it's going to favor Howard a lot. Um, But I think both of these guys are fine plays. Um, And we really might see um, a Royce Freeman breakout sooner than later. Um, uh, You know, whoever drafted Royce Freeman, you're really hoping for that breakout. It really could happen. Um, So, you know, when you look at the upside for the season, when you look at both players, even though I would say that Jordan Howard is in the better offense, I think Freeman has more of the upside this year to be uh, a better fantasy player.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Joe Flacco is going to have him moving down the field enough that uh, it's going to be a little bit more up, up-tempo than it was the last couple of years with the quarterback carousel. So, you know, maybe those things kind of settle down and you're going to see uh, kind of a return to the running game there.
2: All right, we have Brian Perez on the show, Bears writer for NBCS Chicago and host of the Chicago Shuffle. What is up, Brian? How are you? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I know you're excited for tomorrow night. Um, it's going to be a huge game. Um, obviously Packers Bears in Chicago, um, at Soldier Field, and it's going to be a battle. Um, you know, obviously Week 15 last year, the Packers got spanked. You know that that defense obviously is stifling um, in Chicago. So we, I just want we want to get your opinion. Um, From a football perspective, and then, you know, our viewers, our listeners can kind of swing that into a fantasy perspective. Um, So let's start off with David Montgomery. That is a name that we've talked about a lot on this show. Ever since he was drafted, ever since the Bears traded up to draft David Montgomery, we've been calling for a big year for Montgomery. We want to get your thoughts on him, and is he just going to inherit all of Jordan Howard's touches from last year, or is it going to be more of a wait-and-see approach with Montgomery?
1: Yeah, I think like any rookie running back, there is obviously a transition period early in their career, especially when you have some established veterans already on the roster like Mike Davis and obviously Tariq Cohen, but The Bears clearly have earmarked David Montgomery to be the eventual feature back. And Matt Nagy even said uh, this week in a a Yahoo Sports article that the Bears value David Montgomery as a first-round talent, even though he was there in the third round, which is part of the reason why they traded up for him, traded next year's fourth-round pick to move up for him in the third round. So the Bears think very highly of him. He has a much more well-rounded skill set than what Jordan Howard had as that first and second down back. Montgomery's the kind of guy that can stay on the field on third downs because of his ability as a receiver. So his upside, if you want to think from a fantasy football uh, perspective, his upside is very similar to Kareem Hunt and what Kareem Hunt did in Kansas City when Matt Nagy was there on that offensive coaching staff. Now, they're not the exact same player, but they are similar. They're uh, They're both deceptively quick They both have very good contact balance. They both have very good lateral agility, can make plays as a runner and receiver. And I think Matt Nagy's offense has already proven what it can do for a running back who has that kind of a skill set. in Montgomery. While he may not get be a 20 carry a game guy initially, I think he could eventually mature into that role in Chicago. And and maybe by the time the calendar flips to October, assuming he stays healthy, I, I just don't see how or why the bears would take him off the field, assuming He is everything that we are projecting him to be at this point. Yeah,
2: so you're kind of echoing a lot of my thoughts here with David Montgomery. Now, if he does turn into that three down back and they can keep him on the field for third down, do you anticipate that Tariq Cohen for some of those third downs will just move over right to the slot and be on the field? Because I don't think that it would benefit the Bears to decrease Tariq Cohen's workload this season. I think that, you know, obviously he had 70 receptions last year. Um, was the uh, clear-cut third down back. But if David Montgomery is taking some of those reps on
1: third down, do you think that they'll try to get creative with Tariq Cohen? Yeah, I think Tariq Cohen is a breed in and of himself. I don't think Tariq Cohen, uh, or I should say, I don't think David Montgomery is a threat to Tariq Cohen's touches, and I don't think Tariq Cohen is a threat to David Montgomery's touches. I think that uh, Tariq Cohen is essentially a Swiss Army knife, a jack-of-all-trades. He's the kind of running back – slash slot receiver, slash offensive weapon who's going to be manu- who's going to have manufactured touches. So there'll be game plans, play packages specifically designed to get Tariq Cohen the ball. That could be on first down, that could be on third down, that could be on special teams as a return guy. They're just going to want to get the ball in his hand for a certain hands for a certain number of touches per game. And I-, I think you're going to see more instances than not, Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery on the field at the same time, whether that's first down or third down traditional passing situation, I don't think one guy is going to take away from the other. I think they both have standalone value. I think Tariq Cohen, even though he's not a traditional first and second down running back, especially in PPR leagues and and things like that, he's going to be a kind of guy who still has that standalone value. And I don't think fantasy players need to be concerned about Montgomery's arrival and what it would do to Tariq Cohen's stock. If you were a Tariq Cohen owner last year or you're high on Tariq Cohen, coming into the season before the NFL draft, I really don't think Montgomery's presence changes it all, all that much because the Bears did sign Mike Davis in free agency, who was, again, who is more of an all round player than Jordan Howard was. So he was going to have that role that David Montgomery is going to likely take now anyway in the offense. So three Cohen, he's got a role. He's got a designed, uh, there's a designed philosophy for how the Bears want to use him. and and, I, and And look, he's one of the more special playmakers in the league. There's no way Matt Nagy's not going to get the ball in his hands.
2: Right. Exactly. It would not benefit the bears to, to underutilize Tariq Cohen just because David Montgomery is there. So I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of usage for both players. Um, What they've done, you know, bringing in guys like Mike Davis to your point, Cordero Patterson, it's guys that kind of fit this role a little bit better than Jordan Howard did. And Matt Nagy, you know, specifically went out and drafted David Montgomery. He went out and signed Mike Davis, signed Cordero Patterson. So now I think what you're going to see from this Bears offense uh, in year two with Matt Nagy is more, you know, going to be what we kind of expected last year. I think he's going to get a little bit more creative, and he's going to have the opportunity because he's going to have the personnel to do so. Um, You know, I I think from the, you know, the what ifs or the what could be's for the Bears, I mean – they really, there's a big ceiling there because you're thinking, oh, well, Matt Nagy, this, you know, creative offensive coach coming in with all of this talent around them because they really do have a lot of good pieces here. Um, Let's talk about more specifically how that's going to be utilized tomorrow night. So obviously last year, uh, the Packers escaped uh, in week one, right? We saw this last year where they escaped in week one, they were at home. And then week 15, they got, obliterated by the Bears I mean it was it was a an away game for the Packers and they just the the offense was just stagnant and we haven't seen that in the past for the Packers um, so what can we expect tomorrow night with this Matt LaFleur led Packers team um, are the Bears anticipating a whole new regime I mean what, what are we looking at for tomorrow night as far as you know how the Packers are going to approach this game based on what
1: happened last year yeah, I think that's the million-dollar question. None of us really know what the Matt LaFleur impact is going to be. I mean, we know what Matt LaFleur is and who he is as a play caller. Um, but what we don't know is how he'll mesh with Aaron Rodgers and whether or not that dynamic is going to set up for success, especially early in the season. It's, I mentioned I talked about this uh, in, in today's Chicago Shuffle, where you know the Chicago Bears are catching the Packers at the perfect time because you don't want to play Aaron Rodgers maybe three or four weeks from now, when he and Matt LaFleur have found themselves finally on the same page. This is going to be a test for that relationship. Maybe it's a combustible one. Maybe Aaron Rodgers wants the audible to a different play call. Aaron And Matt LaFleur kind of disagrees with the route Aaron Rodgers goes in, and there could be some uncomfortable sideline interactions between the two of them. And that's exactly what Bears fans and the Bears defense should hope for. Oh, yeah. Because it's not like it's not like Aaron Rodgers and Matt Lafleur have a game against I don't know the Cincinnati Bengals to kind of get themselves warmed up as a duo. They're facing arguably the most talented and ferocious defense in the NFL. It's not exactly the ideal scenario for Aaron Rodgers or Lafleur to to work out their wrinkles in a regular season game. So uh, I think that you're going to see the similar similar offenses what. We saw with the Rams in 2017 and with the Titans last year, obviously LaFleur has the best quarterback who he's ever had the the luxury of coaching in Aaron Rodgers. And let's face it, Aaron Rodgers is going to make a lot of his own play calls in the huddle like he did when Michael McCarthy was around. He's not going to stop that just because LaFleur maybe is a little more of a hard-headed offensive coach. So the Bears still have to realize that regardless of who's calling plays, Aaron Rodgers is – a miracle worker and Aaron Rodgers can draw up a play in the dirt like backyard football and still turn a scenario that appears very advantageous for the defense and turn it into six points for the offense. So they still have to be on their toes when Aaron Rodgers is is has the ball in his hands. But whether or not the Packers has have that same explosive element in the first game at the floor calling plays, I, I really don't see it happening. I think the Bears are gonna be able to at least keep the game in a winnable situation for Mitch Trubisky simply because Again, that inexperience with LaFleur and Rodgers working together.
2: Well, and yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned, you know, I mean, this defense will make any uh, any team uncomfortable. Um, and, and that's including this Packers team, especially in the first game with the floor. I'm sure they're going to, you know, come out. And I think that they're going to want to, you know, surprise this team. If they're going to catch them off guard and try to, to work some of that explosion that we've seen in this Packers offense before. Blake, I guess the same question for you. What can we expect from this Packers team uh, going into Soldier Field in a hostile environment? Um, game one with Matt LaFleur. Last year, just to kind of, you know, uh, paint the picture for, for week 15, Aaron Rodgers, 25 of 42, 274 yards, no touchdowns. Not the typical Aaron Rodgers line. Aaron Jones, four carries for eight yards. I mean, you have to expect both of those things they want to improve on. In both areas
0: yeah I think they're definitely gonna have to establish the run game early against that kind of defense if if you're just sitting back in the pocket you know they're gonna start to pick you apart Uh, now in the first game you know he had three touchdowns against him and that's when he was uh, you know injured that first week of the season he got injured Uh, then by their second meeting he was healthy again in week 15 but he didn't fare so well you know I, I think it's gonna be really tough like you said with being Matt Matt LaFleur's first game uh, to kind of mesh with Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure they've done plenty of this kind of stuff in practice. You know, that was kind of the big reason for moving on from Mike McCarthy was just the relationship wasn't working out that well. Uh, you would think that they would kind of work on some of that stuff in practice where uh, the defensive coordinators would switch up looks from what, what the offensive coaches thought was going on, and then you would see, you know, how, how Aaron Rodgers and him uh, could, could work together to fix that situation and you know I think they're going to be all right because it's Aaron Rodgers basically you know what I mean like when it comes down to it it's Aaron Rodgers I think they're going to be fine but uh, Is like he, he have said, a little bit
2: more wiggle room this year to the call his own plays and ad
0: lib a little bit more than he did last year I think it depends on success okay you know, because last year uh, a lot of times you'd see on third downs and stuff Rodgers would get really frustrated if he didn't complete complete the pass and I don't know if that was because it was uh Mike McCarthy's call that he didn't like or if it was because on the few chances that he got to audible he wasn't successful and you know so I think it was kind of a combination of both
2: uh the young receivers that he was working with
0: yeah that too that too definitely but I mean if you're getting a chance you know your coach gives you the reins a little bit to say hey you know you know call whatever you got to be good. And at the end of the day, if if you're not completing those passes, then, you know, something's got to change, but he's he's good enough on most of those that, you know, I think they'll give him a little bit more free reign this year.
1: You know, just to to chime in on that point, one of the things that's going to be a challenge though, from that standpoint is the offense that LaFleur runs, you know, from the Mike Shanahan to Kyle Shanahan, that whole tree of offensive philosophy, the offense inherently doesn't allow for, many audibles at the line of scrimmage. Maybe there's two or three plays stacked off of a specific formation, which is why, if you guys remember, there's been an off-season controversy all along about LaFleur, you know, his comments early on after he got the gig saying maybe Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have as much freedom to audible at the line. And that was really not necessarily a shot taken directly at Aaron Rodgers, but more so because the offense that LaFleur has kind of come up in doesn't allow for just naturally for a lot of deviation from the play. So it's going to, by default, if the system is run to its roots and to its core, Aaron Rodgers is going to be a little more restricted in terms of what he's able to do in terms of a last-minute audible because of just the way the offense is set up. So I feel like that's going to be one of the really interesting dynamics is Aaron Rodgers, I feel like, is at his best when he's freestyling, playground quarterback, just using his God-given arm talent and making throws that nobody else can make out of off-structure, uh, outside the play's design and just, you know, being that miracle worker that we've all come become accustomed to, whether or not this offense allows for that kind of freestyle uh, play from Rodgers is something that, you know, it's, it's really one of the more dramatic storylines to watch Thursday night. You know, from a Bears fan perspective, it's it's great because Aaron Rodgers almost feels like an unproven commodity, even though we know that's not the case. It's just in this system. You know, he hasn't really had to fluctuate in different systems throughout his career. And here he is in one of LaFleur that, generally speaking, isn't exactly what he's used to playing in. So it's going to be really fun to watch.
2: Yeah, I mean, if he buys into this system uh, with the talent that Aaron Rodgers has as a Hall of Fame talent, uh, you have to imagine that there's going to be success here. But it only takes a couple sacks and maybe a tipped pass or an interception mm-hmm. For the frustration to set in and for Aaron Rodgers to think, man, you know, if I could have just audibled that or if I could have made my the read myself, you know, I, I would have I would have made the right play. Um, so I think that, you know, it really, you know, to Blake's point, it's going to depend on success because look, if this offense put in place works <laughs> for tomorrow night you know, I don't think that you're going to have a lot of, like, frustration from Aaron Rodgers immediately. So it's going to be very interesting. I think, you know, the, they can play out one of two ways uh, in that regard. Um, let's bring it back to the Bears' offensive side. Talk about some of these receivers for the Bears. Brian, tomorrow night and then for season long, who do you think is one of these receivers that is, is poised for – let's talk about just a big night tomorrow against this Packers defense and then who you're looking at to have a big year.
1: I think he starts with Allen Robinson. You know, he's a year removed for that from that knee injury that he suffered in 2017. All indications in training camp suggest that he is moving at a different pace, at a different speed. Playing with confidence has been the most dominant player in training camp from, a path, from the passing game standpoint. And if he can kind of re-grasp some of that form that he had back in 2000, I believe it was 2015, when he had 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns, while the Nagy offense doesn't necessarily produce one huge statistical playmaker like that, right. I think it's reasonable to project that he could come maybe close, maybe be a 1200 yard nine to 10 touchdown guy, which would, you know, pretty much justify the payday that the bears gave him in free agency last year. So I think it starts to Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller is the popular pick among fantasy football guys and just Bears fans in general, wanting to see him emerge as that kind of dynamic second level receiver who, you know, along the lines of, of, you know, like a Steve Smith type who can just play physical, play strong, beat defensive backs, both in the short game and the long game. And I think he's got a chance to do it. I mean, the guy's a hard worker. The guy's a playmaker. He's a great lateral athlete. Um, it's just a matter of staying healthy. He had that, that bum and shoulder last year, and it's something that kind of was a nagging injury all year long. Hopefully that's behind him. And if he could stay healthy for 16 games, he's another guy that can put up surprising numbers and could easily become the number one receiver in Chicago. I think the biggest challenge for fantasy football players this year is is trying to accurately identify which one of those guys is it going to be, because I do think it just comes down to the two of them. I don't see Taylor Gabriel as a guy who's going to be much more than a complimentary piece on the offense. You know, an occasional big play down the field from time to time, he might have his game or two here or there where he leads the Bears in receiving yards, but he won't be a consistent week-over-week week producer Um, on the offense. I think it just comes down to Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller and the, and the deep, deep is Javon Wims, who I believe pound for pound could be the most talented receiver on the team. He just happens to be a second year, seventh round pick who has to keep working his way up the depth chart. He's going to be on the active roster this year. Uh, He'll probably be no worse than the number four receiver to start the year. And if he gets an opportunity, if there's an injury, and he gets an opportunity to play, he's going to be one of those guys who's really, really hard to take off the field. He's big, He's physical, great hands. He can win at the catch point, above average speed. He reminds me a lot of a Brandon Marshall type who, if he gets a chance to develop on the field, could end up being, you know, we see it all the time in the NFL, guys who are day three picks who emerge as some of the best at their position. And I'm not saying Javon Williams is at that level, but he's been back-to-back years in the preseason, the most impressive receiver on the team. And I think eventually he's going to get his chance and eventually he's going to be a productive guy.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say Javon Williams is a preseason darling, uh, and you know he would be the type of player that uh, I think a lot of football fans would love to see emerge. Now, in three receiver sets, who do you see besides uh, uh,
1: Robinson and Anthony Miller
2: being on that outside?
1: It's gonna be Taylor Gabriel. The the three of them are are locked in on the as as the top three receivers. I think you're gonna see, you know, Tariq Cohen potentially line up as that kind of gadget guy in the slot giving the defense a four-receiver look, but maybe the play started off to recall Cohen in the backfield. You also have Trey Burton, if he could stay healthy. I mean, he's another, that that kind of like that jackrabbit tight end who can play more. He's more wide receiver than tight end. I mean, honestly, the Bears have an an almost endless list of talented pass catchers. It's not that they have world beaters at wide receiver. It's not that they have, you know, DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham Jr. at wide receiver but they got a lot of guys who can produce if their number is called a lot of those tier two, maybe one B type of receivers. And, you know, when you have a collection of those guys, when you have three, four, even five of them uh, potentially on the field at the same time, that can really stress a defense. And, and that's kind of the offense the bears built. And this is, this is with the potential of Allen Robinson returning to that alpha form where he is a player, who not too long ago was considered one of the elite young receivers in the league before he tore his knee up. And he just had the misfortune of playing with Blake Bortles when Blake Bortles game regressed to where he was one hopping the ball to Allen Robinson pass after pass. So, you know, that guy gets back to his form. He's what, 25 years old. I mean, Allen Robinson feels like he's been around forever and he's, you know, as young as some second and third receivers right now.
2: I think a lot of questions that fantasy football analysts would have is, is Trubisky ready to keep him, relevant as a superstar in this league Um, so that's my next question here is I mean it feels like there's nowhere else to go but up for Trubisky I mean we saw the improvement in year two uh, went from a 70 pass rating to a 95 uh, pass rating um, last season Um, stats improved all around obviously so it feels like it's no-brainer does Trubisky improve next this season so let's just swing it a different way does he improve enough to keep uh, multiple people fantasy relevant and, you know, keep them just relevant as far as being superstar type players. Cause I think we've decided, look, Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson, all of these guys have superstar level talent, but can Trubisky provide that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I don't know if there are many quarterbacks outside of the elite tier, you know, Andrew, uh, well, I was going to say Andrew Luck, but he's no longer around Aaron oh. Rodgers, Maybe Carson Wentz. Even we're going to see if Baker Mayfield can do it in Cleveland. Deshaun Watson. I mean, look at the look at the Texans, for example. I mean, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins is a superstar, right? right. A su- an elite guy in fantasy. And then you have a bunch of other guys. You know, when Will Fuller's healthy, he's he's kind of a two catch a game. Will make his fantasy season. He might have three or four catches, five catches in the game, but it's that one bomb right. that flips him from maybe an average day to an elite fantasy production day. Can Trubisky be that kind of player where he's feeding Allen Robinson to be a consistent stud week in and week out and then has the occasional big player or two in a game to Anthony Miller to keep Anthony Miller relevant with standalone starter value? I think there's potential there. But that's a lot to ask of any quarterback in the NFL, especially when there's a lot of mouths to feed in a passing game. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is Trubisky having a much better year as an NFL quarterback, maybe statistically improving across the board but still not having necessarily an elite fantasy receiver on the offense because maybe three guys have 850 yards or one guy has 1,000 yards, one guy has 920, one guy has 950. So it, it, and Nagy's offense by default calls for the ball to be spread around. So whether or not it's Trubisky who limits the receivers or the Bears offense that limits the receivers is really the question that is unanswered right now. I do think Trubisky tends to get locked in to receivers over the course of a game. His he's shown that over his first two years on the field is that when the game starts, if he builds the rhythm of the receiver, he will feed that guy. There were, there were drives last year where he was literally one read Allen Robinson or bust. So I do think there is enough there to feel confident that he can make Allen Robinson, you know, that fringe wide receiver, one high level wide receiver, two guy this year. But whether or not he's going to be able to produce enough to support multiple starting quality receivers, I think that would be a lot to ask from Trubisky because we just haven't seen him at that level yet.
2: I 100% agree. Brian Perez, thanks for coming on the show, man. You can find Brian Perez on Twitter, at BrianPerezNFL. Can you tell the folks what you have coming up for him on the Chicago Shuffle and any of your articles that might be coming out?
1: Yeah, well, you know what? Just keep checking NBC Sports Chicago. I'm, I'm kind of just posting news and notes, Bears notes out there for the Bears fan. I'm a Bears fan at heart, so when I see something come across uh, the worldwide web that I think would interest Bears fans, I try to get it up on, on NBC Sports Chicago. And Chicago Shuffle, once a week we put our, our heart and soul to that and just talk Bears. So make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review that show. Uh, we would obviously really appreciate it. And guys, I really appreciate, appreciate you having me on.
2: All right. I want to thank our guest, Brian Perez, coming on the show. Uh, You can follow me at FFProfessorST3 on Twitter. Follow Blake Sullivan at Blake Sullivan FF. Uh, On behalf of Brian Perez and Blake Sullivan, my name is Stephen Taroni. This has been the Hot Take Podcast.